0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend and Chavuta Yardena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Kiddushin, Daf Lamechet, page thirty-eight. So the top of our daf begins kind of in the middle of a discussion about Pinay Israel as they came to the land when they, meaning they left Egypt. They go through the midbar, they go through the wilderness, they come out, you know, however many years later, right, 40 years, we're going to talk about that in a moment. So this is what, you know, and this leads into this discussion over the mitzvot that are given, you know, that that take effect in the land, for the land, right when they come into the land. So before that, though, we first discuss exactly what's going on here with the fact that they were traveling the desert or the wilderness, however you want to translate it, for 40 years. So it says, Diktiv. I'm nearly at the very top of the daft. They ate the manna in the desert for 40 years till they came to the settled land. They ate that manna until they came to the borders of Canaan. And then the Gemara, of course, is going to pull this apart. You can't say, says the Gemara, that they came until the settled land. Why? Because they were still eating that man. They were still eating the manna when they entered the land of Israel. How do we know that? Meaning, they've already said to the borders of the land of Canaan, which means that they only stopped eating the manna right right at the entrance to the land of Israel, back there on the plains of Moab, right? That we have these verses that describe it. And it seems that there's a contradiction in, in the narrative, shall we say and this is also again that you can't say that they ate the manna only until they reached those borders of the land of canaan because it already said till they came to a settled land so when did they exactly continue when did they stop how you know how do we work out this contradiction between the the apparent contradiction between the um, the timing the timeline of when they stopped eating the manna um, with regard to their entry to the land at that time. so it says, okay, so that's that's the question, right? How do we reconcile it? said so now we're going to answer, except for we answer with a sidebar. Ba'adar, Moshe. On the seventh day of the month of Adar, Moshe died. U'pasak min So what happens? Moshe died on the 7th of Adar, the man, the manna stopped falling, right, like in recognition of this. And then they ate the manna that was left for them that they had in their vessels, all their stuff until the 16th of Nisan. Now, that's a good long time, meaning that's from the 7th of Adar through the rest of the month of Adar and for the first 16 days then of the month of Nisan. You'll remember that man, usually you can't have it overnight. If it you if it was left overnight, it would become wormy and icky and un, inedible. But this was an exception to that rule, right? It says that this is this is a a way of figuring out how long they ate the man because they had it as you know residual from the time that it stopped falling when Moshe died. Tiny Edaf. We have another break that says as follows: It says straight up the, you know the children of Israel they ate the manna for forty years is it really accurate that they ate it for 40 years? And I feel like this is such a such a Jewish kind of talmudic kind of question, right? Because they're going to say right away, really, it was 40 years minus 30 days. And I feel like this is exactly, you know, like somebody says like, yeah, I'm 41, right? And I'm 40 years old. You're not 40 yet. You've got another month to go, right? This, the, the detail here, the being, so precise, I feel is, you know, I certainly know plenty of people who learn Talmud who would, you know, you know, hone to the precision here. So this is rather what happens: they ate the man for these forty years minus those thirty days because the man that had begun to fall. I mean, it it initially began to fall on the sixteenth of ER. And then they stop eating it on the 16th of Nisan, meaning 40 years later, right? Or almost 40 years later. So then what happens is this verse, it says, the 40-year verse comes to tell you that they had that taste of man, of the manna, in those unleavened cakes, the bread, the matzah, it's not bread, right? That they took out from Egypt on the 15th of Nisan to begin with, so that there you have, oh, we can complete it, a complete year of eating the taste of man, even though it hadn't begun falling from the sky yet, right, or appearing, however it is that God provided for them, is that they had the taste of man in their mouths from the moment that they left Egypt in their matzah. Then on the 16th day of Iyar, they begin with the taste of man because it you know, arrived in this supernatural kind of way. And then on the 16th of Nisan, um, they are done with whatever they had had left after the death of Moshe. So we end up saying, Oh, look, it really was 40 days, not 40 days minus a month, um, which, again, very Talmudic to work it out, to make sure that it is precisely, and to the day, 40 years of eating Idah. The brighta goes on. So we know that Moshe died on the 7th of Adar. And the Gemara, or the brights are really here, tells us he was also born on the 7th of Adar. And this is like the the message. People say that those who are born and die on the same Hebrew date, there is a righteousness to them. Minayin be b'shiva Adar mate. How do we know that he died on the 7th of Adar? And now we're going to have some verses to teach us this, right? Shnei mar Moshe Hashem. We have a verse in Devarim Deuteronomy 34. It says, chapter 34, that says, Moshe died there, he was a servant of God, we know that the people mourned him, weeping for him for 30 days, it says, it was after the death of Moshe, that the servant of Hashem, now it's going to talk about Yoshua, that's the beginning of Sefer Yoshua, the book of Joshua, Moshe avdi so this is, again, Moshe, my servant, is dead. Now you, Joshua, is gonna you are going to rise, or all the people, really, to cross the Jordan. Okay, so we're getting a timeline of the events that take place after Moshe's death, and we can track them back to get to the 7th. We're not there yet. And so there's a preparation of 30 days. I'm sorry, there's a preparation for three days um, to before the people cross the Jordan River right already in the book of Joshua <laughs> and now we have an actual date the people come up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month that means the 10th of Nisan <laughs> excuse me <laughs> so if you count this back right you're counting back the 10th from that date, the 10th of Nisan, you take away the three days of preparation for the food. You take away the 30 days of mourning for Moshe. The, right, so the three days of preparation for, to cross the Jordan, 30 days of mourning for Moshe, and you do that math, and you'll count back to the 7th of Adar. So that's how we get his death, the date of his death. But how do we know that he was also was born on the 7th of Adar? He says, I'm 120 years today, right? The the text in Devarim where Moshe is speaking about the fact that he can no longer go on, right? And this is going to be the, the time of his death. He says specifically that he's 120 years today. And the inference is that it's literally his birthday, as opposed to, you know, the age that he is at around that time. She'en talmud <inaudible> hayom, ma' hayom. That literally God, what do we learn from this? That God literally counts out the days of the righteous from day to day, from month to month. That I will fulfill the number of your days, meaning because Moshe is so righteous, God will literally full, like, fill the entire year of that year of the days, Um, which then brings him round back to his birthday. And that's the idea that the righteous, um, you know, are born and die on the same day.
1: Yeah. And it's always considered to be sort of like a, a, I don't know if you want to say like a good semen, but like it's considered to be a good, if if you are a person who is Zoha to that, that your birthday and your, you know, and day of death are on the same day, it's considered to be a sign that you were like a holy uh, person. Uh, I'm going to move on from the Agadat and go back to some Halacha here. Uh, the Gemara quotes a, a Brisa, Tanya Rabbi ben Yochi Yomer. I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, that basically talks about how when Bnei were commanded, they were commanded three Mitzvot uh, when they got to Eretz Yisrael, and those Mitzvot are still done inside and outside of Eretz Yisrael. Those are Chadash, Orla, and Kilayim, which are the ones that are mentioned in our. Uh, which are mentioned in our Mishnah. Um, and it goes through, uh, you know, why is it, why is it that it applies to those three? And then they have a uh, dissenting opinion there. Rabbi Elazar, the, the son of Rabbi Shimon, says, Kol mitzvah yisrael, kodem yisrael. any commandment that the Jews were given to do before they got to the land of Israel, before they actually entered Eretz Yisrael, no hege ba'aretz b'em b'chutzal aretz. Those are laws that have to be done in Israel and outside of Israel. But any commandment which they only became obligated to do after they entered the land of Israel, they only have to do in Eretz Yisrael. Except for the cancellation of deaths at the conclusion of a Shemitah year and the freeing of slaves during a Yovel year. We're talking about Hebrew slaves. Even though these were things that didn't go into effect until they entered Eretz Yisrael, They take place both inside and outside of Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Elazar, in the son of Rabbi Shimon, basically, uh, you know, says that there's uh, uh, that there's no, you know, that the general rule is is that commandments, which, mitzvah which didn't apply until you entered Eretz Israel only apply in Eretz Israel, right? But, you know, but then you have these commandments, right, of chadash Orla, and Kilayim. And then he has these two other except here, which is that uh, the uh, cancellation of debts and freeing, uh, you know, and freeing uh, slaves, right? That should be also, uh, that also should apply inside and outside of the lands as well so the question basically becomes why did rabbi Lazar? you know need, uh uh you know why did he need to have this thing about shemitah the cancellation of of shemitah is an exception to the rule right that the commandments weren't applicable until that that you didn't do till you got to Eretz israel or limited to to israel that the cancellation of debts and the freeing of hebrew slaves even though it didn't start until we got into Israel, that's an exception to the rule. And they take place inside and outside. <laughs> because the cancellation of debts is actually a personal obligation. Remember, that was a distinction we made yesterday. OK. Um, so the question therefore becomes, OK, we don't really need Rabbi Lazar's statement because it's a personal issue. It's a personal right obligation. And we know we already have that rule that, like, if it's a personal obligation, of course it's going to be bound by inside and outside of or al. So why does Rabbi Eleazar but Rabbi Shimon make a point to specifically mention it? So the reason why Rabbi Eleazar needed to teach this, right, Lo Nitzchrachah Eladid to Titania, is because of another brysa. What does this brysa teach us? Titania, Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Nasi taught in a and he quotes here pasuk from Devarim chapter 15, verse 2. That says the whole Pasuk actually reads the following, where it says that this is the matter of, this is how you do, you know, this relinquishing of the debts. Every creditor should relinquish that which he claims on his fellow man. He can't press his fellow man or his brother for payment because, you know, this was, this relinquishment was proclaimed by Hashem. That's what the whole Pasuk says. But he focuses on the fact that the Pasuk says, right? It says that word relinquishment twice. Just when you relinquish land, you relinquish money. But when you do not relinquish land, you also do not relinquish money. And therefore, what could happen is, is that according to Rabbi's opinion, according to this Brysa, since the cancellation of debt, right? didn't apply before the Jews entered Eretz Yisrael, right? And we also see that it seems to be connected to actual giving up of land, right? We need to sort of add it to our list that, you know, it's still, that this is actually an exception, okay? Um, now, the Gemara goes on to Asba, Right? Now, because the Brisa compares, right, to say that you relinquish land, you should relinquish money. But in a place where you don't relinquish land, meaning outside of Eretz Yisrael, right? We know that you don't need to do that for shemitah. You don't relinquish loans, right? So they really go back and they're like, "How can he make this actual exception?" It really doesn't logically make sense. Talmud Lamarlo ki mita because it says this relinquishment, the end of that pasuk, was proclaimed before Hashem. Mikol in other words any place, right? Like, because it ends with that statement of Kika Rashmi Talashem, it's trying to teach us that also it would be outside of Eretz Yisrael. The Kabar then is going to go on to discuss Rabbi Elazar's exception with uh, with the Hebrew slaves. And again, they'll sort of go through uh, the same sort of thing. I, look, I think what's interesting is, is to see that th- these categories are not so clear cut. Like, they really do take a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, work to sort of get to them. And we see sort of the exception. And I guess the question I have is, how did this come into practice? Like, were there actually people who did di- different things? Like, you know, we saw in our Mishnah, Rabbi Eliezer says, Khadesh does apply. Were there people who didn't follow Rabbi Eliezer's opinion? Like, I'm very curious practically how this worked, because you could theoretically have that, like in places outside of Eretz people are doing things or not doing things.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is always going to be our question, because we, meaning you and I, and I, some of our listeners I know, co-learners, very much want to know exactly how did this play out. It doesn't surprise me that it doesn't describe it.
1: Yeah, I, I, we don't see the practical piece, you know, piece of it. It just to me, it's a question like, you know, did you have towns where half the people did this and half the people did that? Like, it's not a lot of things. It's a few things. But it's interesting just to see. That's all.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I would love to know.
1: Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this top and our Talking Tom and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>